0: Thank you. a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek, and today I'll be talking with Florida School Boards Association Executive Director Andrea Messina regarding the legislative session so far, and then Marlene Sokol, our Hillsborough County education reporter, will be joining me for a conversation about school start times. Let's get started with my conversation with Andrea, which took place on Thursday morning. First off, I just want to thank you for spending the time talking with me about this, this year's legislative session so far. I'm really glad to get a chance to talk with you.
1: Well, thank you. We really appreciate your regular uh, updates and your coverage of educational issues. We, You are one of the sources that we go to regularly.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear that. I hope everybody does.
1: Yeah, we, well, we share your stuff, as you know.
0: Excellent. Excellent. I wanted to um, start off by noting that this session, there have been so very few education bills that have actually gotten through one side or the other, regardless of all of the hand-wringing and loud talk about some of the big issues. What do you make of that?
1: You know, I I will tell you, um, I'm constantly amazed at the number of bills that get filed that have to do with education. Um, But I will say that I think that there is some uh, there are some really big issues that need to be addressed and i think proper attention is being paid to them and then there's a bunch of other issues that some people think need to be addressed but i don't think everyone believes to be a sort of ubiquitous problem
0: well i'm looking at class size religious expression um job guarantees for teachers on annual contracts those kinds of things have already made it through the house or the senate in the case of religion and also recess and and yet some of those big issues such as charter school capital funding are not made their way all the way through yet and and sometimes you wonder if they will
1: you know i will say that the Every week that passes, it really does raise the question of whether or not we're going to find agreement on both sides. I know uh, even the religious expression, it passed the House floor yesterday, but it did not include all of the language that the Senate's version had. So now the Senate's going to have to look at it again and determine if they're going to edit some out. So even those that pass are not really ready, uh, signed, sealed, and delivered.
0: So when you're looking at all of this and you see what they're doing and not doing, what, if anything, surprises you the most so far about this first half of the session?
1: I do think that I was a little surprised at the Senate's uh, two different assessment bills and what I thought was a little bit of undue controversy in trying to bring those together. Um, I I was happy to see that they finally did. And I don't know if you were in that committee meeting earlier this week, but boy, uh, there were probably 20 some odd bills up that day. And this one, they started the assessment bill and then they temporarily postponed it, took a bunch of other bills. Then with about 15 minutes left in the committee meeting, they, they brought this one back up again, so much so that The people in the audience were saying there's no way we're going to be able to get through it because I think there was 21 amendments filed. And in 15 minutes or so, they went through, golly, I want to say 19 amendments. Boom, 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 pass the bill, and it's ready to go. Um, but what they did is they really brought the two the two assessment bills. And I think you, you know what I'm talking about. There was one assessment bill that came out early, and then there was another assessment bill that came out a little bit later, which was actually a bipartisan bill, which we haven't seen in a long, long time. And, and because the two of them both addressed assessments, uh, it made sense that the the authors of of both bills would come together and try to come up with something in the end. And I was happy to see that they were able to come up with something in the end. But the sort of drama surrounding will we amend um, Bill A to Bill B surprises me because I thought that's what we were supposed to do.
0: Do you see that the amendment process is going to take place in the House, too?
1: That is a different question of which I have no ability to answer with any level of confidence or accuracy. Uh, it is going to be interesting when they discuss it. Um, I don't think that they're going to amend it to the same degree as the Senate, which means the Senate going to have to determine whether or not they take the House's position. I'm not sure that they will
0: sounds like there's going to have to be a lot of swapping back and forth between the two sides because there are disagreements over taxes and charter schools and maybe even testing and religion, like you mentioned. Uh, do you think at the end of the day we're going to wind up with anything at all to show for it?
1: I think if nothing else, we will end up with perhaps uh, a paper pencil option because that will be an immediate relief for some areas perhaps some of those studies that the Senate uh, assessment bill is requesting to determine if a national test can adequately substitute for a determination of whether or not students have met certain um, standards. And, uh, you know, Senator Lee presented an interesting amendment this week which basically suggested that if you pass um, an AP test or an IB test or some sort of a national industry certification in a subject area, at the high school level, that you wouldn't have to take uh, that particular uh, state assessment in the same topic. So if you passed a, an, an AP math, let's say you wouldn't have to take the math uh, state assessment because by passing the AP or IB or whatever, that that would count for it. And I think that's really the kind of thing that a lot of those parents of those, I'll call them high-flying kids, um, they find that here's my child – Probably many kids, as you know, will even take the SAT in seventh grade. They score a certain score in seventh grade. And then the rest of their lives, they're taking these other um, assessment tests, which they get fours, five, sixes on them anyway. And they're, they're wondering, why is my kid having to take this test and this test? My child's already shown that they're proficient in this area. Why do we have to keep taking the tests? On the contrary, the other side is to suggest that You know, how do we know if the students continue to learn and grow if we don't continue to measure whether or not they're learning and growing? So it, it, it's, um, it really gets into the conversation about what are assessments used for, what is their purpose, and that's an even far larger conversation than even our legislature is currently having.
0: Now, we've talked a lot about testing, but there are so many other things going on, and I know that. As an organization, you guys watch certain bills that maybe other groups may not be paying attention to. Are there any that we should be paying attention to that you know about that maybe we don't?
1: Well, you know, I'm certain that you know about the capital outlay funding for charter schools. Uh, that is a big topic up here. And and first, I want to say a few things. Number one, the uh, funding for capital outlay for charters, that issue has got to be addressed by the state at some point. So I believe that at least talking about a, a, um, a regular system of funding uh, for charters is, is an important topic. That being said, the distribution of those funds is, is where things get hung up on the school board side because School districts can only distribute capital outlay funds based on needs. I'm sure you're familiar with a five-year plan of um, construction or renovation or any sort of uh, maintenance, that sort of stuff. Whereas the suggestion here is that for charters, the money would be distributed on a per-student basis. And so what that would really do is really create an inequity with regard to – giving money per student on one side and for need on the other. It, it, it doesn't correlate, especially if you look at the number of students in traditional schools, which is about 2.8 million, versus charter schools, which is about 300,000. We've got to solve the problem, but we need to do it in a, in a meaningful and intentional way that makes some sense. And um, that's one that's going to be a big, big deal in school districts because, Right now, I don't know how long you've been covering education issues, but I think it's been a while. You know that districts used to be able to levy two mills. Now they're down to 1.5 mills. When we went back to 1.5 mills, one of the things that did is it caused districts to um, increase some of their debt because they had to borrow money to get some of their capital needs met, as well as uh, kind of push some projects out further. So they have a lot of unmet needs that are currently not funded. And now if we're going to say we're going to bring in all the charter schools and they're going to get capital outlay based on a certain formula off the top from this, that's going to further stretch the 1.5 mils, um, and it's really going to create some some problems in some school districts with repair, maintenance, and expansion of facilities. It's going to be a large um, Issue your, your districts are going to feel that crunch. In fact, there was some numbers thrown out. Let me see if I can find them here. Um, yes, okay. So uh, based on districts that would qualify, it would be 150.7 million out of district capital outlay that would be going straight to charters if if this passes.
0: I would say so. Districts are are naturally concerned about this and. And I just wonder, you know, if this is going to be resolved in a way that, or if you even have a resolution that you're looking for.
1: You know what, I'm not sure that it will have the resolution we're looking for. Um, I I know that the legislature is looking for a solution to solve the capital funding issue for charters, and they see this as the solution. Um, Or many of them do, I should say. And uh, we've asked that that if the sharing... Um, is going to come, then at least restore the two mills, so that there's that extra 0.5 mills that each district can levy to generate more money if they have to share the money. But as of this point, that that is not being included, certainly in the House version and the Senate this morning in appropriations didn't pick it up either. So I, I don't think it's going to pass the way that our districts are going to feel like they will be able to, with fidelity, implement the intent of this, and still be able to maintain their facilities in a way that their community expects them to.
0: That's going to make for a really interesting conversation come budget time. I I do wonder one thing, because you have an, an offshoot or a breakaway organization of school board members out there that advocates for different things than you do sometimes. And I was wondering how that affects what goes on in Tallahassee. And if you see that, you know, sometimes you have school boards or school board members on different sides of the same issue.
1: We do, and we actually have that even within um, boards that are all 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 members of their board are members of FSBA, which in truth is, is sort of where we land because we believe that the robust conversation on education is better when all parties are in the same room, and and we believe that the the best place to solve the education issues are with individual school boards locally. So so there are some disputes. Um some some individual school board members, whether they're with us or whether they may or may not uh, be members of another um, organization, um, certainly support uh, the sharing of this capital uh, that I just referred to, um, but but many others would like to see the 2.0 uh, restored in order to make that happen. And, and let me also say this, you know, our members, the Florida School Boards Association members, we we represent uh, 64 out of 67 counties, 350 some odd school board members. Um, our members believe in school choice and they recognize that charters are both an integral part of Florida's public education system and um, help to meet the needs of some students that traditional schools may not necessarily meet the needs of all students. Um, But when things get set up like I described with the distribution of capital on two different formulas, that's where it ends up pitting traditional schools against charters. And quite frankly, I'm really tired of it being us against them because we're all public schools and we have to find ways that all public schools can thrive and improve. And that's really what what we're trying to find ways um, to work with the legislature to find.
0: Well, I really appreciate you talking with me about these issues. It's a interesting session so far, and I know you're really in the middle of it. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk rather than be watching one of those many marathon sessions that are going on. Thank you.
1: Thank you, and I will mention one more thing that I do think the legislature is really focused on, and rightly so, by the way, is the turning around of struggling schools. Um, we, we've really got to find a way, but. But it's not just the schools that are struggling. Typically, it's the communities that are struggling that are surrounding those schools. And we really do have to find ways, both within the education system and other systems within the state, to help those struggling schools and communities bring those uh, students up to the levels of achievement that that other uh, comparable students are able to get to.
0: Well, I hope that they can find those. We've been hearing about those for a long time. Maybe some solutions are out there because, like they talked about, You know, how long is too long before you finally say that we've had enough and something new needs to happen?
1: Yeah, it's a a real problem. And um, I I certainly uh, agree that we need to get this done quicker, sooner rather than later. But I don't necessarily agree that it's 100 percent the teachers in the classroom's fault. Um, And so I, I think it's a very large conversation that involves more than just the schools and it involves the communities And it involves um, some support services that that aren't necessarily within the realm of education in order to help some of those struggling schools and communities really be able to redirect their energies and and get things back on track.
0: Okay. Well, I really, again, appreciate all your time and and for talking with me about these issues. and, And we'll talk again real soon.
1: All right. You take care.
0: And that's the end of our conversation with Andrea, which we had on Thursday morning. So anything that may have changed since Thursday we don't know about. But when you're listening to this, if it's after Thursday, things may have changed. Now let's turn to our conversation with Marlene Sokol. How's it going today, Marlene?
2: Uh, fine. It's great to be back on podcast.
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad that you are here because you have one of the most interesting stories that I've been reading about lately, which is the whole issue of school start times and the Hillsborough County Schools' interesting way of approaching it from from telling the public about it to maybe voting on it. Why don't you give us a little roundup of what's going on right now?
2: Absolutely, I'd be happy to. And I wish I knew more and I wish I had known more sooner. And and, and so I'm looking at two different directions that this story is taking. One is, you know, what's gonna happen? How's it gonna work? Logistical considerations, which there are many. Um, and then the second one that I that I'd like to talk about is just, the handling of this information, um, the rollout of the plan, um, starting with the first one, what they're doing and and what they are proposing and what they will vote on on April 25th is to change the start and and dismissal times at the schools, which they call the bell times, um, spacing the bus runs farther apart so that each bus can serve three different schools. But in you know in, on the ground, what that translates into is that. School will start earlier for high school. It will start later for elementary school. It will start later for middle school. Now, and the elementary school day will get longer, while for high school and middle schools, the day will get shorter.
0: Can I ask a question about that? Because I've talked to people out in the community. I do live in Hillsborough County. And one thing we hear people, I've heard people saying is, how can they tell us that they're going to improve instruction if they're going to make the high school day shorter?
2: That's an excellent question. I don't have the answer to it. Um, We will be meeting with Jeff Akins next week, and and that's one of the questions I plan to ask him when we do. Um, What they have told the public through videos and emails is that there are benefits, including more planning time for the teachers. So the explanation, and I'm not sure I would believe it either if my child were in the schools, was that you know if we can give the teachers more time to plan collaboratively to plan thoughtfully they can make better use of their time with the students um videos that they've posted you know showing that students support this change you know they quote the students saying well i'll have more time to study um but honestly i i don't know a a good answer to that question either it seems logically that you're making the day shorter.
0: Can I ask one more question that I've heard from you too? You may not know the answer to this one either, but I was talking to a parent who wanted to know why the school district seems so interested in getting kids to work on time rather than being interested in having them be in school.
2: That's another good question. And if if I if I were to be cynical about this whole process, um, you, you could make the argument that this is something they decided to do um... they decided to do it for a couple of reasons one being money they want to make more efficient use of the buses and have them each serve three schools instead of only one or two and the the argument that jeff akins has made is under the existing schedule too many kids are arriving late to school um... but it seems like since they made that decision to go ahead with this they have added a lot of other benefits um in order to make this plan look attractive. So one of the benefits that they have added to it is well, if you're in high school, your day will end earlier and you can get to your after school job on time. But I would agree with you. I mean the, the school system should not be in the business of making it easier for kids to get to their job. You know, that that should not be a priority.
0: Well this is just something I, I keep hearing people talking about in the community, but I should probably let you talk a little bit more about what all, all you know about how they got that information to the community because people still are kind of scratching their heads and wondering what's going on and why.
2: Yeah, I'm scratching my head too um, because I I heard rumblings about bell schedules, I would say maybe around February or March, but I follow what they do very closely. I go to every board meeting. I request the superintendent's report to to the school board members every Friday. You know, I talk to them every day, and I didn't know about it. And and what I learned on Tuesday, which is when they released a large quantity of information, I'm going to call it a data dump, minutes before the school board meeting, uh, by the way. And so when I finally read through it all, I realized that they have been planning this since September. A very involved process, committees and task forces and focus groups, very extensive planning process since September. So if you count the months, it's been seven months of planning, and they have only talked about it publicly for the last month since march, and that was when and so i don't know why it was kept so quiet for all those months um i The first time I saw a draft of a schedule was on. I call it a fake news site called the whistleblower and I mean that tongue-in-cheek this is actually a citizen journalist who's who's been doing some very good work getting information out to people um, and that was the first public sighting of a proposed bell schedule and at that point I called the district and said hey it's all over town it's all over the whistleblower you know you've you got to give us some information. So you know i don't know why it was held um so quietly for so long um the the other part of that and this is something that we're pursuing as as a story is the way they have described this effort um the first couple of communications from jeff akins the email and the videos Did not describe it as a cost-saving effort, but they described it as something that's going to be good for kids and good for teachers. And you know, elementary school kids will have more time in art and music, and you know, teachers will have more planning time. And it looked like very slick marketing.
0: Now you're talking about it. You're talking about an email and a video that was sent directly to parents, right?
2: The first one, yeah. And and so you know it looked like they were emphasizing the benefits and and just really avoiding the issue of cost and and it it looked like marketing and as it turned out they are using a public relations firm tucker hall um which has advised them on talking points and strategy so you know it 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 just seems like they are trying to sell it And, and and there are some benefits to it don't get me wrong Um, especially with elementary school um, one of the benefits is that all of the elementary schools will have a long enough day so that if they need an extra hour of reading time that's built right in And, and we do have 40 schools that meet the state definition of needing extra reading time so it's not all bad but the way they have sold it um has some people kind of scratching their heads and saying, No, you know you're you know you're not being completely candid about why you're doing it?
0: Well, I went on their Facebook page and read the commentary that was running underneath the announcements and and also on our Facebook page where we had posted some information as well, and it seems to be running I want to say. 99.9% negative. Is there any chance that the school board or the s- superintendent will scrap this or is this something that's a done deal regardless?
2: Um, my hunch is that it's a done deal and 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 what I suspect is that although none of this has been discussed with me and you know me as the pers- the point person for the Tampa Bay Times which is the only new mainstream newspaper in town So, although none of this has been made public, you know, through us, through our institution, my hunch is that all of the school board members have known about it for months. Um, The superintendent has one-on-one meetings with him, with with them, you know, on a regular basis. So, I don't think he would propose this if he was not confident that, that he could get the votes um and and he made some good points Tuesday night when he finally talked about it publicly and he said look under the existing system there are kids who are not getting to school on time there are kids that are consistently late and that's not fair we cannot allow that to continue so when you put the argument in those terms it's a sound argument
0: can i look, can- I want to say that I was, when again, I'm, I'm out there talking to people, mostly at the soccer fields, and we're all in a lot of middle school kids, and I heard some parents say, if people are getting to school late, well, what are they going to do when you have a bunch of middle school kids who are now told to stay at home alone until their class starts at maybe 9.40 in the morning, their parents are at work, telling them go to school, and then they don't show up, and, and they took away bus rides from yeah. dozens and dozens of of routes, and so then they're walking two miles to school with not, without any parents there to tell them to go or to help them to get there. It sounds like that's not going to do what the superintendent just said.
2: No, exactly. That's a, that's a, that's an excellent point, and I'm glad you brought it up, because as I see it, that is the biggest problem, is middle school. You know, What's your 12-year-old child supposed to do during the two hours when you're on your way to work and his school doesn't start until 9.30? especially since thousands of kids are losing courtesy busing this year. And I've even had people raise the issue of, could you be charged with child endangerment? You know, child neglect if you have a child that young and they are by themselves in the morning because you have to work and his school doesn't start until 930. Um, There are a lot of unanswered questions about that. Um, Will they provide daycare? Will they provide host in the morning? And if they do, are they going to charge you money for it? And then if so, what if you can't afford to pay for daycare in the morning? So there are a lot of serious logistical issues with this. And I, I don't know that parents have really are really going to be, get, have enough time to make plans because the school year begins in August and that's not too far away and so to put your child in a different school if if need be or or to get a different job you know that's a pretty tight schedule so i you know i don't know why they're rushing to do it this year um logically to me it would seem like either they should have started public conversations about this back in september so that people would have almost a full year to prepare or vote on it now and have it take effect a year from now. But yeah, it does seem rushed and it does seem like there there will be some hardship experienced by by a lot of families.
0: Well, I know you're looking for comments from people. So you wanna share your email address or the way that people should get in touch with you if they have thoughts about this issue? A
2: a lot of different ways. Um, My email address is m, like Marlene, S-O-K-O-L at tampabay.com and also if you go to gradebook uh, we have both a gradebook site on tampabay.com and we have a um facebook our gradebook has a facebook so we're taking comments or they can call me directly at 813-226-3356 and i'll be following this with stories about both how it's going to work, and then ultimately we're looking to do a story on on the whole rollout of it and, and, the, and the way it's been communicated, because I think that's a big issue as well.
0: And maybe we'll actually know what's happening by what date now?
2: April 25th is the vote. Unfortunately, one of the saddest things, I had a parent ask me, well, when can I come to the public hearing on this? And I had to say, well, there, there's no, it's not exactly a public hearing. There is a school board meeting on April 25th but it's at 3 30 in the afternoon.
0: Thank you, Marlene. You've made me and all the people who live in Hillsborough County, as well as probably a lot of people who are looking at the similar issues around the state, keep an active eye on what's going on here.
2: Thank you very much, Jeff, and uh, I look forward to following this again.
0: Thanks again for listening to The Gradebook, a weekly podcast of Florida education issues from the Tampa Bay Times. You can keep up with our conversation on Facebook at Tampa Bay Times Gradebook, and you can always follow our latest news updates on our blog, tampabay.com slash gradebook.